Father, this morning we just come to you. We just want to thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We come in this morning's service into thy hands, the word, the ministry of the word. Oh, Father, teach us, Lord. You are the true teacher, the only teacher from whose lips no error comes. The only teacher who ever walked on earth, no error came. You were true to yourself and you were true to the spirit. This morning, Father, even as we study your word, we hear your word, I pray, Father, you will speak. And whatever is error will just fall to the ground. Whatever is true will not come back void. For your word is truth. The only truth that can set us free now and forever. I commit everyone here, here present and around the world into thy hands. Help us to magnify your word above everything else, Lord. The word that is forever settled in the heavens. And teach us and help us and empower us to order our lives according to your word. Teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen. <clears throat> we will not be learning practically anything new, but we need to go back. Like I said, there is revelation and there is remembrance. <laughs> we need to remember, we need to learn, go back and do the old stuff over and over again until fundamentals are deep. Okay, <clears throat> We've been looking from Titus, Paul's epistle to his troubleshooter, Titus, in the first three verses. Uh, do we have the NIV, not the UK version, the other NIV? We have only the UK version. Yeah, I want to see how, because the Bible Gateway and the, you have, what is that one which you have? No, no, the app, whatever you use. Okay. Okay. I think it's sometimes a little too new. Okay, I'll read in the anyway. <clears throat> Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And in verse 3 says, that's the reason he preaches, or that's why he preaches, or about what he preaches. Yeah. <clears throat> Paul, a Okay, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. Look, it's a slight difference. To further the faith of God's elect. Okay? To further the faith of God's elect. Okay, meaning every preaching, every teaching is to further our faith. Where we were yesterday, we should be moving a little more today. Faith of God's elect. And their knowledge of truth, of the truth, that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now has, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching 
entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. Okay. And that verse 3 is stunning. Okay. Mm-hmm. Basically, he's saying it was entrusted to me, not to the others. Mm-hmm. And God proves it by seeing that he writes most of scripture. Though others all began before him. All of them began before him. Yet God used this man. God entrusted it into his hands. So, We've been looking at, and Paul is writing to Titus, and he's telling, you know, and we will see so many concepts over there. We see about faith over there. We see about hope over there. And it is the hope of eternal knowledge and the knowledge of truth. And we see in that letter about order. You know, we talk about order. Order, if you look at verse 5, it talks about order. Okay, And we talk about how important it is to have order. Okay, that even if you do not know the Lord now, the young children do not know the Lord now, if you get order, the day you know the Lord, it becomes very easy to move ahead. This reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order, set in order the things that are lacking. Can we saw how every category of people in the church needs teaching. The older men need to be taught, the older women, the young men, the young women, and of course the children. Okay? So we saw, um, last Saturday, I think we saw on to be very sure that your hope is real. The rich man woke up to a nasty surprise. I'm absolutely sure when he was living, he thought he was going to heaven. He wouldn't have been so careless otherwise. Okay? But he woke up to a nasty surprise and ended up in the wrong place. Okay? That's why in the new covenant, and in the old covenant, you will see in the story with Jesus actually tells, it is death that was the eye-opener. And we don't have to wait till we die. God begets us to a living hope. A living hope, okay? You don't have to fear death to know where you are going. You can know now where you are going. Okay? You can know now where you are going. Okay? That's where the Spirit comes and that's where the Word comes. The Word and the Spirit agree together to the evidence that we have in us and outside us. So in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, we saw, okay? Uh, now abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of this is love. Okay? The greatest of this is love. And we saw one of the reasons why the greatest love is that a day will come when eternity begins for every one of us, same time or different times, where faith and hope don't matter anymore. Okay, We don't need to walk by faith. We walk by sight. We see him. We walk by sight. We don't need to hope for anything. We are there in his midst. The days of hoping is over. We are into that reality. But one thing that doesn't change is that our love. Okay? Our love. Okay? So that's why. In Ecclesiastes 4.12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and the threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay? So let us say that uh, you only have hope. You have only hope. Or you only have faith. Let us say you only have faith. First Corinthians 15 and verse 19 says, we'll come back to 4.12, okay? 15.19 says, okay, 15.19. In this life, only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men the most pitiable. Did you see? You have only one. Of three stranged cord, you have only one. You have only faith in this life. You don't have a living hope. 
And if you go to Corinthians, uh, sorry, Ecclesiastes 4.12, you can be easily be overpowered. One may be overpowered by another. You can be easily be overpowered. If you have only faith and no hope and no love, you can be overpowered easily. And what happens if you have faith and hope? You are much more stronger. But let us say you have faith, hope, and love. Or let us say your faith is gone, your hope is gone. But the Bible says in First Corinthians 13 and verse 8, Verse 8, hope, uh, uh, not 118, sorry, 138, 13, 13.8. <laughs> Love never fails. Faith can fail. Hope can fail. And we'll see in Bible, this failing. But love never fails. Let's look at one illustration. We're not talking about love today. We heard about it last Sunday. But we'll continue. Uh, John chapter 20 and verse 10. The disciples went away again to their own homes. You know when they are going? After they hear, the tomb is empty. They come, they look, they see his clothes all folded, everything, and they look and they go. Because they have no faith. They have no hope. He's dead. They don't believe he's risen. Okay, There's no hope also. So they look there and they go. But one person doesn't leave. She also has no faith. She also has no hope. Okay, She also has no faith. She has also no hope. She also thinks he's dead and he's not risen. So from verse 11 onwards, you will see. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. You see, that's what you have need to understand. Where faith and hope fails, love will always take you further. You need to realize, John looked in, Peter went in. They saw no angels. Some things to use to see for your eyes to be open. Faith and hope is not enough. You need the love of God. And eyes are open to see angelic visitation, which the disciples don't see. They, they don't see, she sees. And she saw them where the body had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Angels are inside, Jesus is outside. She had looked in. She turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. In verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she said to her, Rabboni, which means teacher. You know why? She was able to see the first visitation Jesus saw, the first revelation of Jesus post-resurrection is to Mary, is because her faith failed. You have to accept that. Her hope failed. But her love did not fail. Okay, love did not fail. So we need to realize there will be times when our faith fails. There will be time when we have no hope. Okay? But our love should not fail. And that's both God's love for us, our trust in God's love for us and our love for God. And that's what Romans 8 and verse 28 says. We know all things work together for good for those who believe in God. Those hope in God. For those who love God. And those who are called according to his purpose. But this three strand cord cannot be broken. If you have faith, hope and love, you're almost impotical, invincible. 
before the attacks of the enemy. These three has to come. And we have to increase in all these three. That's the purpose, okay? So you know that after that when Jesus restores Peter, the only question he asks Peter is, Peter, do you believe in me? Do you have the hope of eternal life? He doesn't ask any of those questions. <laughs> he says, do you love me? Do you love me? That's the only question he asks him. Do you really love me? I know your faith failed. I know your hope failed. But the question is, do you still love me? If you love me, that love will not fail. And I can restore you. So connected, intricately connected. These things are all connected. Love, faith, hope is connected. And then if you go back to Titus, Titus 1. But it is all connected to one thing. I, Paul, Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth with accords with godliness. Or basically he's saying is the knowledge of truth. Okay, the knowledge of truth. You see, none of these things will work. Faith will not work. Hope will not work. Love will not work if you do not have the knowledge of truth. Okay, knowledge of truth. We had seen this earlier, recapping Malachi 2.7 and Hosea 4.6. Okay, Malachi 2.7 and Hosea. For the lips of his priest should keep knowledge. Okay, what is the purpose of ministry? Preaching ministry, we talk about all the sacrifices. That was secondary. That was not sec- that was not primary. Because even if they are offering sacrifices, they need to understand what does it mean. Otherwise, what is the point of sacrifices? Many of the things which we do, like when we did, when we grew up in Christian homes, we had no clue what we were doing. But we just did it. Okay, and it didn't make any sense to us. It didn't make any difference in our lives. Because what we did was not according to knowledge. And the purpose of priesthood or preaching is to see that people receive the knowledge of God. And Hosea 4.6 says, that knowledge, we are not talking about the knowledge which is in the world. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. And because you have rejected knowledge, who is he talking to? He's not talking to the people. He's talking to the priests. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being a priest for me. But in the new covenant, everybody wants to go to Peter and say, you know, Peter said we are a royal priesthood. But God says, do you have my knowledge? If you really, really want to be my priest, then you need to have the knowledge about me. So knowledge, okay? So the questions we need to ask is, is my faith according to knowledge? The knowledge of God. Is my hope according to the knowledge of God? Is my love According to the knowledge of God, last Sunday, if you listen to the message, it's a completely different dimension. Is our, is our love actually based on pursued love? And everybody in the world is perceiving love. The whole world is about love only. But is it according to the knowledge of God? Because you cannot have love without God, because God says God is love. So is our pursuit of love according to the knowledge of God? Okay. Why is so important? Because there is true knowledge and there is false knowledge. And false knowledge can be very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. And we saw that. We'll just look there and we will quickly move on to today's. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, fed sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was, if you look at these two pictures, okay, and you don't know the rest of the story, you pick a man from the world and bring him over there and read to him the first four verses till 21 and tell him, who do you think is blessed by God? Who do you think is approved by God? Almost nine out of nine or nine out of ten or ten out of ten will turn around and say, it's the rich man. 
He's the one who's blessed. Because that's what every religion teaches. Every even Judaism teaches you the same thing. Okay? And teaches you the same thing. And they will all say that, you know what, the rich man is blessed, Lazarus is cursed. And verse 22 is an eye-opener. What does verse 22 say? So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And then says, he's in hell. So what, in this case, your knowledge, what you actually knew, accepted and walked in, whether it is true or false, was decided by death. After death is judgment. But we need to realize death itself is judgment. Because the minute you die, you end up in two different places. There are only two different places. Either you end up in the presence of God, you end up in heaven, or you end up in hell. After that is judgment. So death itself is a doorway that leads into judgment. Okay, And you cannot wait till then to know whether what you believed is true or not. And God doesn't want to keep us in suspense. So he has given us the knowledge of truth. And he has given us the spirit that will lead us to all truth. He has begotten us to a living hope. And our hope to be living, it has to be according to the living word. So don't ever postpone these things. God does not want his children to wait till death. Because it's a, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to die and to know all your decisions and your beliefs were wrong. Beliefs were wrong. Okay? So he wants to birth us. So he births us to a living hope to a living faith, and to a living love, a genuine love. Therefore, the most important knowledge we will receive ever on this side of eternity is the knowledge of God, which you don't get in schools or colleges or universities. It's the knowledge of God. It is the knowledge of the Creator and not of creation. Every other place what you receive is the knowledge of creation, and they take the creator out. But God wants us to know the creator first. In the world, it does not matter uh, who invented, unless you're going for a GK test. It doesn't make, I mean, who cares who in uh, who discovered electricity, as long as you can use it. Most of the stuff which we use, we do not even know who discovered or invented it. It makes no difference to our life. But it doesn't work that way with eternity. In eternity, the only thing that will matter is not how much you know, is do you know him. That will be the dynamics. The only thing that matters in eternity is do you know God, the creator. It doesn't matter how much you know about creation. It is irrelevant. If you know God... You are safe. You may know all, you may have 10 doctorates on so many subjects and end up in hell. And actually a lot of them are in hell. Okay. So Jeremiah puts it this way. Jeremiah 9 verse 22 to 24. Close the gate. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. That's what we want to glory, right? When our children bring their mark sheets, how excited we are. No? We glory in their wisdom. No, we say, see, I taught. No, when you fail, we say, your son. Right? <laughs> when they bring the marks, we say, my son. Okay, Glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor the, let the rich man glory in his riches. Right? 
Actually, you took 22 away. I had to put 22 also there because 22 is a dangerous verse. You have to read 22 and 23. What does 22 say? Speak, thus says the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as refuse on the open field, like cuttings after the harvest, and no one shall gather them. What is he talking about? Who are the carcasses of? The rich, the wise, the smart ones. Just die like refuse. Why? Because they did not know me. You have to read 23, 24 in conjunction with 22. 22 is the, 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 the scary words. Thus says the Lord, the carcasses of men shall fall like a refuse on the open field, like cuttings after the harvest, and no one shall gather them. Why? Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor the rich man glory in his riches, if anyone wants to, anyone wants to glory. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. If you want to glory me, he says, this is it. All the others are glorying in creation. But the one who should glory is that I know the creator. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Why does he put these two together? He says, I am a God who exercises loving kindness, judgment and righteousness. And those who actually know me also delight in exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness. That's how we have to read it. Okay, That's what it means. So what actually counts in eternity? You know, everything, most of the things we do and acquire in life is temporary. Temporary. We are not going to take it with us in eternity. So we need to put a value, a premium, like Monday to Friday, all of you were, who are in the secular field, were engaged in so many things. And it was important for you. It's important. But God says the next two days, Saturday, Sunday, are stuff you will learn which you carry into eternity. Eternity. Everything you learned or you did Monday to Friday is temporary. And the rest, you two days, basically the teaching days, you carry it into eternity, including Wednesday morning. That's why ignorance is a killer. Ignorance, one ignorance, second, wrong knowledge. Wrong knowledge is also ignorance of the true knowledge. Only thing it's more dangerous than ignorance. Wrong knowledge is more dangerous than ignorance. That's why the enemy infiltrates the church from the beginning. With false pro- false apostles, false prophets, false pastors, false teachers, and even false evangelists who preach a false gospel which creates false brethren. Galatians 2.4 and this occurred because of false brethren. Okay. You see the effect of it. You have false apostles and false prophets and false evangelists and false pastors and false teachers who, with false gospel who creates false brethren. Okay. So we need to be absolutely very, very clear about it. And that's why Paul will say, whichever verse I gave you next, it's John 4 or Galatians 1. John 4. But the hour is coming and now is when true worship will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God says, you know what? There is going to come a set of people who will be born, birthed and be growing in truth. The knowledge of truth. As opposed to what is false. And that will divide everything. And you see, I look at what's happening to the church, especially in the West, in the US now. It is just 
cracking open. God is dividing the church into true and false. And if you actually do not know your word and understand fundamental principles, doctrines, you will be swept away with the larger crowd. Even those orthodox groups like Southern Baptist Convention are all falling apart. They are falling apart. And we need to realize that God says the time will come. Ultimately, truth will. It's a knowledge of truth. Because if what I believe is not true, then my faith is also false. You don't have to look at what you get out of that faith. The faith itself is false. My hope is false. My love is not genuine. And then if these three are not true, then what am I holding on to? What am I holding on to? Okay, so please, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul will, is the, the man God, God uses. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So it did not start today. It started then. A different gospel is being preached, which is not another. He says, actually, there is no other gospel. There is only one gospel, but they are pretending. And there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be cursed. Okay, he says it can, angels can come and people will say angelic visitation and give another gospel. And Paul says, I myself change the doctrine and come back and give you another gospel. Change the gospel of grace and make it into something else. Either you go back to the law or you pervert grace. One of these two ways is how false doctrine gets in. And he uses the word second time. As we have said before, so now I say anyone again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than to what you have been received, let him be accursed. Twice he uses the word anthema, accursed. Let him be cursed. I mean, let him go to hell. It's not a simple pronunciation. It's a very, very powerful pronunciation the Holy Spirit makes through his apostle. Okay, so we, we need to take heed. And why is it so important? The knowledge of truth is so important is because the fall began, the fall of mankind began because one person of two people on earth, one person received the false knowledge as opposed to the true knowledge. There are two knowledge before there. One is Genesis 2.17 and the other is Genesis 3.4. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. This is the true knowledge from the mouth of God. And what did Genesis 3.4 say? The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. It's simple. It's very simple. God said you will surely die. And the serpent said you will surely not die. So among these two, which is true? Only two. This is the question. A, B. Which is true? Which is true? Which is true? It's a question. Which is true? You know what? Uh, Eve did. She ticked option B. She said B is true. And you know, man died. Man died. Okay. Why I said one is because the Bible says uh, man was not deceived. Okay, man was not deceived. Okay, that is First uh, Timothy two fourteen. Okay, Adam was not deceived. So don't feel so good about it, men. It means he willfully disregarded truth. One was deceived; the other willfully deceived, uh, received. Uh, I mean, disregarded the truth which he knew. So if you look at it, the woman is less culpable than the man, because the woman did not know. In her ignorance, she was deceived. The man knew. He was not deceived. He willfully 
disobeyed. Okay, so so the warning in Matthew chapter twenty-four, verses three to five, Jesus warns. Now he sat on the mount of olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us, when will these things be?" And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, and now we want him to give the whole set of signs, you know, and he gives war, pestilence, famine, earthquake, you know, nation against nation, all the things. But that's not what he mentions first. He says, you don't worry about all those things. Those are secondary. The primary thing is that take heed that no one deceives you. Why? Many will come in my name and saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. Everyone who comes behind the pulpit will only come in the name of Jesus. They cannot come in another name. Okay? Deception is not in the world. Deception is in the church. Okay? They will only come in the name of Jesus Christ. So we are worried about the pandemic. We are worried about the famine. We are worried about war in the Middle East. We are worried about all this thing, a nuclear holocaust. All these things you worry about. God said, don't worry about all that thing. If you are not deceived, you can overcome all this. But if you are defeat, you don't even need these things to overcome you. You are already overcome. You don't have to wait for war. You don't have to wait for famine. You don't have to wait for any of these things. You are already dead while you are living because you have been overcome by deception. Okay, so God is saying, don't worry, what we need to be most careful about it is, Lord, like this three-card rope, the most fundamental, no? Faith, hope, and charity or love. Lord, is my faith true? Is my hope true? Is my love true? If my faith fails, will my hope fail? If my hope fails, will still hang on to that one strand which will pull me over? Will my love fail? Okay, because hope can fail. And Peter's faith failed. Okay, he says, I have prayed that your faith should not fail, but you know that his faith failed, and then he came back. Okay, and you will look at the resurrection time. Everybody's faith and hope is gone. Mary Magdalene stood there because her faith is gone, hope is gone, but love did not fail. So that's what we are looking at. So our defense, remember, our defense is a spirit of truth. It's not truth alone. It's not truth alone. It is the spirit of truth. Okay, it is the spirit of truth. True worshippers shall arise who will worship God in spirit and in truth. That's what Romans 8, 1 and 2 is. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There is a law of the spirit. That is the spirit of truth. It's not the law which Moses brought. Remember that. Always get this difference. The law that Moses brought destroys you. It does not help you. It kills you. It destroys you. It gives you no hope at all. But there is the law of the spirit which sets you free. Okay. The law of the spirit that sets you free. And that is, that is why it matters. Knowledge matters because the enemy will push us. The enemy, once you get saved, the enemy will try to push you into either the ditch on the right or the ditch on the left. They don't look like ditches. They look like well-lit highways. Okay? One is the law and the other is the world. The way the world thinks or the law thinks. And we know in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? He's not talking about the law. Before whose eyes... Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
you need to realize that if Paul had not intervened, God had not intervened through Paul, we actually do not know how far Peter and Barnabas would have gone and strayed. Okay, These are the ones, pioneers before Paul. Peter was given the keys of the kingdom. But even he was deceived. He was deceived. Okay, You need to understand the pull of the law. How much we want to be under the law, meaning we want the approval of the law. That is the problem. Approval of the law. That we are approved of the law. Okay. We want the approval of the law. It is not grace. It is not grace. Let me explain to you so that you understand this. Do you know the parable about Jesus saying that the master comes back and there is this servant. The servant has been working the whole day. And the master sits and he takes care of the master, everything. The master doesn't say, sit with me, eat me. He doesn't say anything. And after he has done everything, the master does not even say thank you. And what the servant supposed to say? We un- You know what God is saying? At the end of the day, when everything is over, you don't get a thank you from God. You are saved by grace and grace alone. That's what it means. Your works mean Nothing. That's what he's saying. Your works mean nothing. You are saved by grace and grace alone. That is uprooted by faith unto faith till the end. Don't ex- God is a debtor to no man. If one thing, one thing I do adds to the work of Christ, it is not grace. It is by grace and grace alone. You have to be very, very careful about these fundamentals because you know what? And that's what they are pulling back into. He says, how come you have gone to the works of the law? You want the approval of the law? God says, no. God is not going to approve anybody. Like he keeps saying, God is not looking at any one of us. He's looking into the Christ in us. If Christ increases, he's happy. If Christ decreases and you increase, he's not pleased with us. He's not in- interested in us. Because if he is interested in us, then he has to judge us. He has to judge us. He has to judge us. Okay, he has to judge us. We'll say, but Bible says God so loved the world. Yes, he so loved the world and he gave his only son. Anyone who believes in him will not perish. So God is looking at the son. God is not looking at us. And if we reject the son, we will be, and every day when we don't walk by faith, we reject the son. We reject the son. Okay, so please understand. So we get our fundamentals very, very, very clear so that we don't go back because go back because the pull of the law is always there for those who are righteous, who are, who want to grow in the knowledge of God. The pull is to go under the law. And those who are not interested, it is to Go under the pull of perverted grace. Okay? That you see in 1 John 2.15 and 2 Timothy 4.10. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not. I mean, how many of us uh, actually truly would say, I believe in this with all my heart? Leave the world aside. Let's put it the second thing. Things. T-H-I-N-G-S. Things. World is there. World of ideas. And there are things. And how do we comfort ourselves? I deserve it. God gives us all things from above, whatever we need to enjoy. But I'm not talking about that. The Bible is very, very clear. 
And turn to Timothy and you will see how the devil pulled a man who was a faithful man for most of his life. For Demas has forsaken me. Why? It's not because of wrong doctrine. Because he loved this present world. And he forsook me. So that is, if he cannot pull Demas like he tried to pull Barnabas and Peter by the approval of the law, he pulled Demas onto the world. One way or the other, he will keep coming after us. Either we will be pulled under the law or he will try to pull under the perversion of the grace by saying, it is okay. You can be in the world, be like the world. God understands. God says, no, I don't understand. <laughs> that is why God has given us a threefold God. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. That word of God is the knowledge of truth. Just don't read the word of God. It's good to read the word of God, but don't just read the word of God. You have to ask God, what is the truth that you're trying to speak to me? What is the truth over here? What is the truth? The word of God doesn't set you free. The truth revealed by the word of God sets you free. John 1, 17, we know, quickly we'll go through. Law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay? So Jesus brought something. He did not bring... Grace alone, he brought truth. He did not bring truth alone, he brought grace. Why? Because without grace, you can never keep truth. Let me honestly tell you, you don't need grace to keep the law. You don't need grace to keep the law. There are plenty of people in every religion who keeps the law. You don't need grace to keep the law. But without grace, you cannot keep the truth. That is the Law of the Spirit. It is not possible. If it is the law of the Spirit, only the Spirit can keep it. It's impossible. Okay? And Jesus did not bring law. He brought truth. And he does not bring truth first. He brings grace first. So because without grace. Okay? So that truth over there is what the word of God reveals. And John 17 and verse 17, again familiar, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The knowledge. Okay? We're connecting it all to Titus 1.3. Okay? Faith, hope, love, everything. Without the knowledge of truth, we are not going anywhere in any of these directions. What is the root of all sin? Yeah. It's lack of faith. <laughs> root of all sin is lack of faith. Romans 14, 23. Everything or anything that is not of faith is sin. What's the root of all sin? Like, why did Eve sin? Because she didn't believe what God, God meant, what he said. Okay. Why did uh, Adam sin? He also probably thought, God doesn't mean, I mean, I've been walking with God for so long. I don't know, he really loves me. I don't think he's going to kill me or send me out of this place. He loves me too much. Lack of faith is the root of all sin. What is the lack of, or what is the source of all defeat? Again, lack of faith. This is, anyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is our victory. That is our faith. So why do you get defeated? Because of lack of faith. So, true faith means two things, okay? One, you believe who God is, for it's that you need knowledge. Second, you believe what he has said. You believe, anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. 
who believe who God. But who is God? That is the revelation. That's a simple reason Jesus came is to so that we would know who God is. And second thing, what he says. True hope is also based on who God is. True hope is only based on who God is and what God has said. Okay, that's where knowledge comes in. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. It's so beautiful. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Who is that? He, who God is. Saying, surely blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Look at verse 17 and 18. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability, unbreakable, unshakable nature of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Why? That by two immutable things. What are the two immutable things? One, who God is. Second, God cannot lie. Which is impossible for God to lie. Two things. Who God is and what God says. Two immutable things. Who God is. So the knowledge of truth is the knowledge of who God is. We need to know who God is. And if we realize that truth, knowledge of God can save us. Can save us. Can save us. And lack of the true knowledge of God can kill us. Like a simple illustration. Do you know that most people who die of a heart attack do not die of a heart attack. It's simply because there was nobody there to give them CPR. One of the fundamental things you should be taught at school is how to be give, give CPR. If somebody has a heart attack and falls, if you are able to give that person CPR, chances are that he will survive by the time he reaches hospital. But they usually die before they reach the hospital because there was nobody knew how to give CPR. Which is a very simple thing. It's not a very difficult thing. It's a very simple thing. Okay. And let's think about it. Why do people go to hell? Simply, even in their last breath, they do not have the knowledge. If you cry, Jesus have mercy, he will take you. They simply don't have that knowledge. Knowledge of who God is. And what he has said. That's why I said ignorance can be a killer. Can be a killer. Can be a killer. We'll come to that. God swore by himself. And God said. And God cannot lie. Two immutable things. Remember to that man <laughs> hanging on the other side. Shall be with me in paradise. Lord remember me. He believed in who God is. When he come to your kingdom. And Jesus replied said you shall be with me in paradise. And he believed. And God cannot lie. And you know what? He was in paradise. The other fellow also had the chance. He refused to believe. Refused to believe. Okay. So there is this knowledge of God. That's what I said. When we come to the church, when we come to the ministry of the word of God, we are acquiring the knowledge of God. And that should start empowering the rest of it, the faith, the hope, the love. Because it should empower our faith. It should empower our hope. It should empower our love. And the whole purpose of preaching is to generate faith. Generate faith. Okay? Not to make you better men and women. It is impossible. I cannot make you a better man or a better woman. I cannot save anyone. 
I cannot heal anyone. I cannot deliver anyone. The only purpose of preaching is to generate faith. Because if faith is generated, it can make you a better person. It can give you hope. It can make you loving. It can make you holy. Everything is dependent upon faith. Everything is dependent upon faith. Only faith. That is the starting. It's Without faith, it is impossible. Understand that. It is impossible. If preaching does not generate faith, that means the preaching has failed or you did not receive it. Okay. And you cannot have faith unless the preaching gives you the knowledge of who God is. How do you have faith in somebody you do not know? What is faith? Faith is either you have faith in somebody and you have faith in what that somebody says. That is faith. And how can you have faith in God unless you know who God is or you are taught who God is? Okay. That's where the knowledge of God comes. Why don't people increase in faith? Because they are not increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. If you increase in the knowledge of I'm not saying knowledge of God is equal to faith. But without the knowledge of God, you will not increase in faith. Okay? How do you trust a person without knowing who he is? How do you trust a person? Romans 8.14 How can you be led by a person you do not know? How can you be led by a person you do Can anybody, can somebody come here and say, come follow me? Will you go? No, you won't go. You won't go. Understand the difference. The world say, believe in yourself. The law say, believe in your works. Faith says, I believe in God. And one ditch the law, believe in your works. Other side of the world, believe in yourself. Faith says, I believe in God. That's why in Luke 17 and verse 5, the disciples cry. What do they say, Lord? Increase our faith. And in Jude one twenty, Jude says, you should increase. Okay, Jude one twenty, building yourself up on your most holy faith. So the simple question is, how do I increase my faith? There's only one way you can increase your faith is by increasing your knowledge of God. We need to know who God is because faith is in a person and what he has said and how he does things. Again, let me tell you, knowledge is not faith. You can be absolutely, you can know the entire Bible by heart. Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, you know by heart and yet have no faith. But faith cannot come without knowledge. Okay. Now we do proof tests. Okay. Let us do two proof tests. How do I know my faith is genuine? How do I know I have faith? First proof test is this. Romans 5.2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. First proof test is that grace, please don't make it into a huge theological doctrine. Faith is simply the power of God. Okay, the, the grace is the power of God we experience and we did nothing to deserve it. It's undeserved power of God. Meaning somebody just throws, like wedding parties, you know, they throw money. Anybody can pick it. Okay, anybody can pick it. 
Grace is the power of God freely given. But to pick it, you need faith. So the simple thing is that if you have faith, you have access. All the knowledge in the world is not going to make any difference. The proof is, do you have access? Am I accessing God's grace? That's the first proof. Okay? First proof is that, access. Now, there is power. You accessed grace. How do you know you have access graced? Romans 1, 17. Okay. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Meaning, how do you know you access grace? Not that things happen in your life. You're moving from righteousness unto righteousness. That's a proof. Simple proof. This is not the righteousness of the law. This is the righteousness of God. From righteousness unto righteousness. And it is grace unto grace. How do you appropriate? By faith. It's simple. Righteousness, that is a God alone. So we need this proof test. Preaching or the hearing of the word leads to faith. And faith accesses grace. And grace leads into righteousness. Okay? Now, we'll get a little more personal. Before service, we have worship. Or you worship at home, whichever. What's the purpose of worship? God is looking for people who will worship him. Why? God, God can't survive without my worship. Of course, it doesn't make it, honestly, it doesn't make iota of difference to God whether I worship or not. But I need to worship. And the proof of my worship, genuine worship, proof of worship is my faith increases. If my faith hasn't increased, I haven't worshipped. Because you're worshipping a person. The more you worship a person, your trust in him increases. If it hasn't increased, I haven't worshipped. We like the melody, we like the songs, we like Peter. But that is not the key. <laughs> that is not the key. Is my worship leading to an increase of faith? Okay. We've been studying on prayer. And we look about prayer and answer of prayer and all. That is not the fundamental thing. The fundamental thing of prayer is that, is your prayer life increasing your faith in God? Increasing your faith in God. That's the key. Otherwise, people will, otherwise God doesn't even listen to your prayers. Like the simple example I give, no? Imagine somebody here, let us say, uh, Arundhati comes and says, Uncle, I love your preaching. I love you, everything about you. But only one thing is that I don't trust you. Arunati, are you serious or are you joking? You don't trust me. No, I don't trust you. I said, go find another church. I'll tell your father to put you in another church. He can come if you trust me. We don't realize this is exactly what we say. Tell God, Lord, I love you. Lord, I hope in you. But I don't trust you. He looks at our life and he says, you know what? You don't trust me. You don't trust me. You don't trust me. So if our worship does not lead to trust in God more and more, our prayer in God does not lead to God more and more, okay, more and more, then we are not really praying. Our prayer life is not really changing. And what's the entire purpose of Bible study? That our faith increases. What is the entire purpose of, or the main core purpose of fellowship? 
Ah, that our faith increases. Proverbs 27, 17. We know it. Iron sharpens iron. After fellowship, you go from here, I am okay, you are okay. That is psychology. That is not faith. There is a book also called, I am okay, you are okay. That is psychology. That is not a purpose of fellowship. The fundamental purpose of fellowship in the church is that iron sharpens iron. That you know what? Our faith in God increases. One brother says, you know what? I was going through this and God intervened. And this came to pass. Other brother, yes, something happened to me. You know what? You go from there edified. You know what? My God is real. He works. You go. Not like the testimonies you hear everywhere in different languages, same thing. I am miserable. I am, I don't know. Nothing seems to be happening. You don't bring any edification. You bring depression. The purpose of everything that happens in the body of Christ is to so that our faith increases. And the more faith, the more you please God. Because it's impossible to please God without faith. Okay, And faith has many facets. By faith, as our faith increases, no, increase our faith. When our faith increases, we are able to say both yes and we are able to say no. By faith, that's why Hebrews 11 is so important. By faith, we are able to leave a lot of things. Abraham was able to leave his home. By faith, Abraham was able to live in tents. When everybody is living in houses, he is living in tents. By faith, Moses is able to say, no, I am not the Pharaoh's daughter's son. By faith, he is able to say, I am a Hebrew. By faith. Okay, we are, if our faith does not increase, we will not be able to say no to a lot of stuff which we will have to say no as time progresses. We will not be able to say yes to some things which only very few people will be able to say. And that's why our faith is so important, both to say yes and to say no. Okay, so faith and hope are connected. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay, but if only in this life we have hope, then... We are most miserable. Okay. Faith, hope and righteousness are connected. Galatians 5, 5. For we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by. You see, they are all connected. You cannot disconnect these things. They are all connected. Faith, hope, righteousness and love are connected. Verse 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matter avails nothing but faith working through. But you know how this all comes? You need knowledge. You need knowledge. You need the knowledge of God. You need to know who God is and what he has said. Okay. Mark 12, 28 to 30. Okay. One of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered and said to him, first of all the command, command, first of all the commands is, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. We all know it so well, right? So well. Let's go to Romans 10 and verse 8 to 10. What does it say? Word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is a word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In verse 10, for with the heart one 
with a heart one love god with all your without faith you cannot love god it's impossible because first faith begins in your heart that's why i said it's with faith everything starts it's not that you love god first you believe god first you believe god first love god with all your heart and faith believe begins in the heart you believe in your heart okay believe in your heart and the more you believe the more you understand this god the more you learn to love him what you learn to love him you know so faith is where it starts and faith starts with knowledge love god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind we talked about that understanding you know to love god with all your mind you know what we need we need the knowledge of god <laughs> let me make it let us make it very personal in our day to day life what is the simple reason for the breakdown of relationships in a home in a church in a office two things one faith is gone you don't trust that person anymore trust is gone okay trust is gone trust is gone second the knowledge of that person is an eye opener <laughs> unlike the knowledge of god the knowledge of god is that the more you know him the more you love him and the more you trust him but i mean honestly i'm telling you one of the major fundamental issues in marriage is that um <laughs> marriage is an eye opener <laughs> courting is fun but marriage is an eye opener suddenly you realize the same question everybody asks you're not the person i married <laughs> okay you're not the person i married because what happens now you have the knowledge of that person okay knowledge of that person okay <laughs> okay of this person and that starts the breakdown of relationship and it is built into every relationship it's no relation that escapes it every relationship is built in what is the answer the answer is become like god the answer because there's only one person you can trust it's god there's nobody you can trust there's only one person you can trust and the only way a person can be trustworthy is by becoming like god okay like we always have the standard joke during every wedding sermon right and you shall leave your father and mother the man shall leave his father and mother cleave to his wife and they shall become and the question begins which one <laughs> which one it's neither the husband nor the wife it is christ the third strand in that god it's not the man it's not the woman the third one which holds it together okay holds it together so when faith is gone that is trust is gone relationship starts breaking down and the knowledge of that person as you increase in the knowledge of that person it breaks down further but that is not so with god that's why the true knowledge of god is very very important trust increases trust increases love increases how trust and love increases only if you know the gospel of grace not the law on the gospel of grace not the law the gospel of grace your trust increases your trust increases your love increases for god so we go back to the text titus 1 1 and 
I Paul a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for what? To further to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. God's godliness and what is godliness? It's just God's nature. Why why can we why can we trust God? <laughs> the funny answer because he's godly. What else God can God be? God is godly. That's why you can. No, you people all say, you know what, that person is very godly, you can trust him. You can trust him. Even, even unbelievers, you can trust in some of them. You know, the biggest financial institution in India, one of these called Muthut Finances, who were being killed, one fellow was jumped down, another was murdered. But that's not how they began. Muthut is from Kerala. No malus. When the great-great-grandfather, when he started Muthut, you don't need a paper. If you put a deposit and the date is December 1st, he will come and deliver it at your home. So it's built on trust. Built on trust. Okay. Built on trust. Today they kill, family kills each other for their money. Brother doesn't trust. Two of those guys were my seniors in college in the hostel. I know both of the guys, I know them. Okay. But their grandfather was different. Was different. Okay. So we need to realize what Bible is talking about. Relationships are built on trust. And God sent his only begotten son into our midst saying that, you know what, you can trust me with your life. You can trust me with your life. The more you know who I am, I sent my son in this flesh and walked among you so that you will know what I am. Don't believe all the others. That is not who I am. And everyone before me just only show you a portion. Even Moses only showed a tiny little portion. That is not who I am. In him, God's fullness dwelt. Okay. And the more you know him, things change. And that's what the Bible is talking about. So the primary purpose of the church, the church, meaning I'm talking about the preaching part, preaching part. The primary purpose of the preaching in the church is to generate faith in God. To enable people to grow further, the elect to go further in faith. And that faith will generate action and works. Genuine faith will always generate action. But I cannot work for you. I cannot work for you. I can only hope that the preaching generates faith in you and the faith will have its own works. Like I said, every sin is a result of lack of faith. And every act of righteousness is a result of faith. Every strength or virtue is a product of faith. Let me add again warning. Knowledge and faith are not the same. You can have knowledge, but have no faith. Have no faith. Let me give you a very simple example. Personal example, so you understand. You can have knowledge and no faith. You wake me up midnight when I am fast asleep and ask me to shift gears I can do without opening my eyes. I can give you a lesson on how to drive carefully on the road. Tell me to drive, I won't, because I don't have faith in myself to drive. I do not have faith in myself to drive. Do I have the knowledge of driving? I do. Pretty good. I can start a driving lesson class, but I cannot sit with the other fellow who is learning. I can give him the theory. <laughs> okay. Are you getting the picture? So knowledge is not equal to faith. The knowledge has to move us to faith. 
all of you who come regularly who take down notes and all that is all good fantastic that is the way it should be but it has to generate faith if it does not generate faith faith without works is dead look at 1 john 5:4 okay 1 john 5:4 whatever is born of god overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome our world uh, overcome the world our faith read it once again faith itself is victory are you getting it genuine faith can never be defeated faith is victory faith is victory. if you are walking in faith you are victorious you cannot be defeated there is no defeat in faith that is why hebrews 11 the entire narrative begins by faith and you will see that man was victorious abel was victorious in what in offering a sacrifice which was acceptable his worship was victorious god accepted it enoch walk was victorious god walked with him noah's work was victorious meaning faith itself is victory that's what it says this is the victory that has overcome the world what is that victory our faith our faith is victory there is no defeat in faith there is no defeat in faith because faith cannot be defeated why why is that faith cannot be defeated because what faith accesses what does faith access grace if faith is my faith i was walking in faith but i was defeated then it was me it was not grace grace cannot be defeated holy spirit has never been defeated by anybody the spirit of god cannot be defeated god's power cannot be defeated so we need to understand that faith itself is victory faith is always victorious faith cannot be defeated and that is to what god is talking about let us look at a few few examples today before we close yeah first samuel chapter 13 my familiar example verse 3 So David his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives their sons and their daughters had been taken captive and verse 6 Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and daughters but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God wait a second here there are 600 let us put a numerical number okay 601 people there men there everybody has lost their families everybody has lost everything city is burned goods have been taken wives children all gone 601 600 people lost one man stood the question is why was one man able to stand because he had the true knowledge of god that's what i said in crisis what can save you is true knowledge If your knowledge is wrong you will end up in the wrong place at that point the 600 people do not have the knowledge of god the true knowledge of god because they are coming from failure after failure after failure after failure defeat 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 no prayer life no worship life living in the enemy's camp nothing at all and now you are facing your darkest hour you go for fear it is over god has to find a new man that's where knowledge matters knowledge matters and it is knowledge that comes up and you know what the knowledge is knowledge is jona 42 you know what it is so he prayed to the lord and said our lord was not this what i said when i was still in my country therefore i fled previously to tarsis for i know 
I know who you are. Who are you? Gracious and merciful God. Slow to anger. Abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. You know, you don't have this knowledge of the true God. And he looks like one of these idols because you have only heard the law. <laughs> With multiple hands, multiple heads and a, a weapon in every hand. When you are down in the dumps like David, what hope do you have? Because you do not have the true knowledge of God. What do you have? Or you are at your deathbed and your knowledge is the buffalo is waiting outside with a rider for you. (laughs) What do you do? Even your karma can't save you because when you think back all you have done is evil. No karma there. I mean, what hope do you have? What hope do you have? That's what I said. If you do not have the true knowledge of God, you will end up in the wrong place. David would have if he did not have the knowledge of who God is. God is. He has nothing to stand on except who God is. He has nothing in his resume to say, Lord. He cannot turn to the wall and cry like Hezekiah and say, Lord, you know how I have lived before. He can't even say that. What does he say? I've been serving Akish. I've been sitting in the Philistine territory. I've been killing people randomly. I've been taking the loot and built. And I've lied to Akish. I have run away from Israel. And I was actually marching with Akish to fight against Israel. His ladies did not want me. That is why. What do you tell God? What do you tell God? What do you tell God? You have nothing to tell God. That's what I said. Knowledge. True knowledge. Who is God? Who is God? This is who God is. He's, he's a merciful God. Slow to anger. Abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from... How did he encourage? Lord, this is who you are. You know, Lord, it's like we say in English, Lord, I don't even have a fig leaf to cover myself. <laughs> that's, a, that's a typical English saying. Okay? I don't even have a fig leaf. I stand before you absolutely open naked, Lord. I have nothing. All I can is appeal to your mercy. And God said, forgive him. Forgiven, son. Forgiven. 16 months just gone? Yeah, gone. Written off. How can you write it off? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because of the cross. I write it off. Okay? I write it off. But it doesn't stop there. Because if it stops there, it still does not. You still recover nothing. Verse 7 and 8. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, please bring the effort to me. And Abiathar brought the effort to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Meaning, faith without works is dead. It is not enough. It's still not enough. You're forgiven, but you recover nothing. You're forgiven. You're just a forgiven sinner. That's all you are. Okay, That is not enough. The question is, does your faith have wings? Does your faith have legs? Does your faith, can it be moved to action? So the second thing is that he inquires of the Lord. Inquires of the Lord. Shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? And God says, pursue. Pursue. That still is not enough. Verse 9 says, he pursued. He pursued. He took his 600 men and he went after them. Okay, sometimes we hear, but we do not have confidence. And David went. 
Sometimes even when we hear, you know what, what we will say, no, but I can't go. Maybe I heard wrong. I am not worthy. At the end of the day, I know I was, I messed up. God can't be telling me to pursue. This is the trap of the enemy. You know what happened? You again fell back into your righteousness. This is why Jesus said this road is so narrow. You, when you walk, you will only walk on the righteousness that comes by faith, the righteousness of God. Otherwise, you know, he will trap you. You will say, okay, Lord, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for Christ. I thank you for his work. I am forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Lord, will I recover anything? No. Pastor says, can't be true. I know what I am. I can't recover anything. I am good for nothing. God says, who told you? You're again falling back on your own righteousness. And David is not. David says, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? God says, surely. Surely. How can you pursue when you have failed? Because you are again banking only on the grace of God. And on nothing else. At no point, positively or negatively, you fall back on your own righteousness or your works. Either way. Either way. You don't. Okay. Be very, very careful about it. You may be the worst sinner on earth. But if God has said you have forgiven, get up and walk. Get up and walk. Because you can never make yourself worthy. You are made worthy. You are made worthy by grace. That is why no man will ever stand before God and boast. It is not possible. It is not possible. No. Luke 15, verse 17 and 18. We know about the prodigal son. Okay, he went, he goofed up. Lost everything, sitting in the pig pen. Wants to eat that, but the master is watching to see that the boy doesn't eat the pig's food because he wants the pig to grow fat and not the boy grow fat. So he says he desired. <laughs> he desired. Okay. He desired. Okay. Don't underestimate what the pigs eat. They eat pretty good food. Okay. Those days when I used to eat pork, no, when I used to eat pork many, many centuries ago. <laughs> okay. There was this pig shop in, uh, pork shop in uh, Secretary Now He and I were pretty good friends because I used to go regularly. I used to buy everything. I mean, salami and you know, frankfurter and sausages and masala sausages. And it's very easy, you know, to feed people. And only meat with a chunk of lard because I like frying my pork and all that. Okay. So I asked him because he has this picture of this piggy on the wall. So I asked him, where do you get your pigs from? Or your meat from? He said, sir, our piggery farm is special. I said, what is special? We collect all the leftovers from the five-star hotels. They pay us to take it. And we feed our pigs that. I said, kya five-star khala khare? <laughs> So I used to joke, and it's good even if you cannot afford to go to a five-star hotel and eat, we eat the pigs who eat it. <laughs> and then one day God opened my eyes, so that luxury also stopped. Okay. So here is this fellow, sitting in the pig pen, wanting to eat it, but cannot eat it. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Let me ask you this question. You all love this story. 
we love the fact because we all at the end of the day we all know we are all prodigal so we pretend we are not <laughs> see we don't want to be the elder son nobody wants to be the elder son nobody wants to be the prodigal son also so i don't know what son we are <laughs> but the fact is that either of these two are a combination of both but the thing here is that why is he restored or why does his restoration take place you know why because he has a true knowledge of his father If he did not have the knowledge of his father that I can go back and I know my father will forgive me, he will die in that pig pen. And lots of people are dying in the pig pen because they do not have the true knowledge of who God is. True knowledge of who God is. That it doesn't matter how low you have sunk in life. It doesn't matter how you wasted your lives. If you come to your senses, meaning you need to have an understanding, a knowledge of who God really is, how much God loves man, how much he cares for him, to the length he went to save man. If you have a true knowledge of it, you will go back. And when you go back, what will happen is you will be received. You will be received. Luke 22:31 Simon Simon indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat and verse 32 but I have prayed that your faith may not fail but we know his faith failed and then it came back okay we know his faith failed okay it's okay we know his faith failed meaning your faith can fail Acts 27:20 As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, twenty twenty, not thirty, twenty twenty. Paul and all the others floating in the ocean, right? Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest beat on all us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given. All hope we. So, what does it mean? Even Paul has lost his hope. That's why the angel comes and tells him, "You will not die." faith can fail when the greatest apostle can lose hope you getting the picture peter lost his faith paul lost his hope but what does corinthians 13 says love never fails love never fails okay now come to luke 15:20 when he arose and came to his father but when he was still a great way off his father saw him had compassion he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him you know what happened there the father's love never fails we talk about this parable of the prodigal son it is not the par- parable of the prodigal son it is the parable of the unfailing love of the father you know why he's restored you know why he was restored because the father's love did not fail what if the father's fail love has failed it has happened in india over and every movie talks about that hindi movie will not talk about that if somebody married somebody you are out you are no longer my son you are no longer my daughter never enter and you will die like that without seeing his sons and daughters not this father not this father you know what this father says my love will not fail See this boy has some faith. He has some hope. In everything his faith, his hope, everything is depend upon one thing. Will my father's love still be there? 
If his father's love fails, all his faith and all his hope is worth nothing. Nothing. Okay. And that is what Jesus was trying to teach us. You know what? Your father's love will never fail. You can come back. You can come back. It doesn't matter how far you have sung. You can come back. You can come back. That's why we need a true knowledge of God. Because a lot of people who got saved during this lockdown, 15 months, have literally come off the streets. Literally come off the streets. And some of the, honestly telling you, some of the people who are there in the ICU for weeks, weeks together, and many of them pastors, it's because they had sunk so low. God is not taking their life off straight up. He's giving them time to put their life in order and come home to him because he doesn't want them to go to the other place. He's keeping them alive. They have been there for weeks together. They've been weeks together. You would say, isn't a simple thing, the servant of God thing? God says, no, I know, my love will not fail. I'm bringing them back. I'm bringing them back. I'm bringing them back. I'm bringing them back so that I can restore him. So that's what the Bible is talking about. Ultimately, everything has to be connected with the, with the knowledge of God. And when that knowledge of God comes, we have faith, which is real. We have hope, which is genuine. We have love, that is, which is genuine. And Jesus comes and says, you know what? If you love me, keep my commandments. That's simple. If you love me, keep it. He says, it's not difficult to obey me. And if you fail to get up and come back to me, because you know what? I love you, and you love me. You love me. That's what Romans 8.28 says. All things work together for the good of those who, those who love. How can you love God, love a person who you do not know? You don't have to see. You don't have to see. You don't have to see. You need to know. We think we need to see. No, you don't need to see. You need to know. You see, if you birth a baby, a mother birth a baby, a father and a mother birth a baby, and the baby is born with Down syndrome, difficult limbs, you know what? It doesn't matter what you see. You love that baby because the baby is yours. You know that baby is yours, and you love that baby. You don't need to see. That's what the Bible says. We love him, though we do not see him. How can you love somebody you have not seen? Because you know him. We don't need to see God. We need to know God. We need the knowledge of God. Rebecca does not have to be told, will you wait? When will you go to see Isaac? What is the hurry? You have not seen him. She says, I think I am getting to know him. Getting to know him. Why? Only thing Eliezer talks about is Isaac. Eliezer has not to talk about how great Eliezer's trip was and how wonderful he was brought to the right place. No, he's talking about Isaac. That's what he says. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will not speak about himself. He will speak about me. He will reveal you, me to you. And if the Holy Spirit genuinely reveals Jesus to us, it is all, either you need to be so hard-hearted not to love him, not to love him, okay? And when you start loving him, you know what? It becomes, that's why he says his commands are not burdensome. Not burdensome. You ask the Youngest mother sitting over here, right over here, is Priyanka. You ask her, she's got two babies. It's not easy, right? Twelve o'clock, one fellow will wake up, you know, and you are tired. Or three o'clock, the next one tired. Do you say, oh, shop is closed, go to sleep? You don't say that. <laughs> you don't say that. I mean, are they going to give you anything back? Nothing? What causes you to do the things which you do? Simply. The love that never fails. 
The love that never fails, you know. And if that's what God says, he, he uses that illustration in the Bible, the mother who feeds her baby. He says, even if her mother, her love fails, he says, that love has failed. In the Bible we see, in history we see that love has failed. But he says, my love will not fail. My love will not fail. Okay. But you need to realize all this is connected by faith. You need to have faith in the love of God. You need to have faith. And faith is the starting point. And you cannot have faith if you do not have knowledge. And final verse for today, First Timothy 3, 9. Holding the mystery of faith. You see, faith is a mystery. There are many mysteries in the Bible. And faith is a mystery. It's a mystery. Honestly, when we look about this, you know what? You mean I reached here because I just believed and kept on believing? And kept on? That's all. And God says, yes. That's all. That's all. See? Kept on believing. This is who God is. This is who God is. This is who God is. And that causes you, that faith causes you to love God. That faith gives you hope. You know? That faith leads you to righteousness. That faith appropriates the power of God. Okay? Power of God. You know? it's, it is my faith. You know, imagine, just, just think about, I mean, the same picture which we see in Samuel 20, sorry, 30, is what we see in Luke 15. I mean, would you in your reasonable mind, a guy who's goofed up, will you pursue? Shall I? That's only, he has only confidence to ask only two things. He doesn't talk about recovering at all. Notice. He says, will I pursue? Will I overtake? What does God say? You will recover. Surely you will overtake and recover all. Recover all. We may not have that confidence because we are looking at all the goof-offs we have done. But that's not what God says. God says, you know, I know. I know what you did. You came back to me. That's all it that matters. And the same thing happens with the with the prodigal son. No, no, I'm not good. Can I be a servant? He says, yeah, I was looking for an extra help. Take him to the servant quarters. Is that what the father says? No. He calls the servants and says, bring the best robe. The best robe. Now the simple question is, where does he get the best robe from? It is the father's robe. He can't pick the eldest son's robe. He will create a havoc over there. <laughs> so it has to be the father's robe. Okay. The father's room, sandal on his feet. I mean, what is the father doing? He's saying, you are recovering all that you lost. You only lost your wealth. You did not lose your place in my heart. You are always there. You just come back home. Okay. And unless we know this God, unless we know this God, okay, unless we God. I mean, we are not negating the other side of God, which Romans eleven twenty two says, the severity of God. Okay, severity of God. Okay, let me explain. Long time ago, I preached this. Okay, let us say Abigail and Emmy are here. Okay. Emmy has, let us say, typhoid. What does Jas do? Justin do? She isolates her in the other room and says, "You cannot go out. You stay there." Well, Abigail is having a blast outside with her friends. Now, do you know why she was isolated? Because the mother loves her. They're isolated because the mother loves her. Okay? Because you can contaminate 
Abigail. And in the process, what will happen? You will also be sick. She will also be sick. And both will be destroyed. You know why God sends people to hell? Because he loves us. Even his judgment is based on love. You think for a normal. Can you put the people in the hell and the people in heaven together? No, you can't. You can't put them together. You cannot put them together. So God is love. That never changes. So when consider the goodness of God and the severity of God, okay, it's also motivated by love. I gave you everything. All that I could do, I do. You rejected me. Now judgment is set. I have to put you away. You know why? Because I love people. You rejected my love. Now I love them. I can't keep you together. And I have to put you away. Withdraw my presence from that place. And when my presence is withdrawn from that place, it becomes hell. Don't worry about the fire and the worms and all. That is irrelevant. When God's presence is gone. Right now, even hell is a good place. You know that? It's not the lake of fire. Hell is still a good place. You know why? Because David said, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there. You are there. Hell is a temporary holding area. Judgment is not set yet. When judgment is set, you are thrown into the lake of fire. Lake of fire. Okay. The Bible says Jesus went to the prison and preached. He went there. Peter says, okay, the day is coming. So we preach this gospel. And it is the gospel of God's grace. Never, ever changed it. It's a very, very narrow line. And the enemy is very, very subtle. We'll flip over to this side or flip over to this side and don't. Walk that way. And it's faith unto faith, grace unto grace, righteousness unto righteousness. And it is the work of God. It is the work of God. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Father, this morning, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. Lord, the more we know you, the more we love you. And we know it's just a drop in the ocean, Lord. If with so little knowledge we can be grateful, thankful, and love you, Lord, what will eternally be like, Lord, as we get to know you more and more and more each day, Lord? Oh, Father, we just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, the knowledge that we receive will be translated into faith. And that faith will access grace. And that faith will have works that the righteousness of God may be established in us and through the works you do through us, O Lord. For it is by faith and by faith alone God does his work. For it is impossible to please God without faith. Help us to please you today, Lord. Commit everyone here, everyone who has heard online, and I pray, Lord, the grace of God would be poured into their lives, Lord. Help us to know you better and better, that we may love you more and more, and that love cannot fail. And we will know, ultimately, everything will work out for our good. In this life or the life to come, it will ultimately, it will all work out for our good. And we true, like Joseph, will be able to say that, yes, so many things that happened was meant for evil. 
but God meant it for good. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. Be with us. Go before us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.